Full Service Radio programming is available on our website, fullserviceradio.org, and as a podcast, thanks to Simplecast. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. You're listening to The Tidbit, brought to you by Curate, live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan. I'm your host and the CEO of Curate, Kim Bryden. Do you run a small business or have dreams to start one? Well, here at The Tidbit, we've got your back. Each week, we talk through tidbits of knowledge around starting or running a small business with a food and beverage lens. And this show, well, it is based on a bi-weekly newsletter that we send out at Curate called The Tidbit, of course. And in it, we discuss what we're reading, eating, drinking, listening to, and learning. Quick, you know, five morsels of information to get you in the know and on top of your game. So if you're eager to learn more tidbits of knowledge around the food and beverage industry, starting or growing a business, or even entrepreneurship lessons learned, sign up today. Head over to curateconnect.com and sign up in the footer. That's C-U-R-E-A-T-E connect.com. So the other day, this message about entrepreneurship popped in my inbox. It read, entrepreneurship is not a job. You don't apply, you don't get a salary, no one picks you. Bragging about how much money you've raised or what your valuation is a form of job thinking. Entrepreneurship is a chance to trade a solution to someone who has a problem that needs solving. Solve more problems, solve bigger problems, Solve problems more widely, and you're an entrepreneur. It's tempting to industrialize this work, to make it something with rules and bosses and processes, but that's not the heart of it. The work is to solve problems in a way that you are proud of. And this message is from Seth Godin, an author, entrepreneur, marketing expert, and a former dot-com executive. I, I subscribe to his blog to sort of glean different marketing and entrepreneurship lessons, but this particular message really struck me. I love solving problems and I love solving complex problems. And what I do not love is feeling like I have to do something because it's the way it's always been done. And so this gave me a lot of solace actually and and understanding the way my mind works in a way. I mean, ultimately, isn't business about solving someone's problem with your solution and then having them pay you for that solution. And this month, Curate collaborated with the University of the District of Columbia on workshops around market readiness, how to get yourself prepared and on top of your game for farmer's market season. And we began our discussion around this fundamental point. Business is about solving problems and why are you the best or most unique solution to solve your customer's problem so that they obviously then give you money. I mean, that is business. And what I also love about this particular piece Seth wrote is the notion that you can keep changing and that you can solve bigger problems, different problems. There's a great article on entrepreneur.com titled, Why the Ability to Change Gears is an Entrepreneur's Most Valuable Skill. And it goes on to read, 
So many people enter entrepreneurship because, in their words, they want to be their own boss. And while this makes sense for a good motto, it's not actually accurate picture of the dynamics at play when you're running your own business. Large or small, your company only succeeds by meeting a need in the market, by solving someone's problem. And as those needs shift, your company needs to shift as well. It's not a nice ability to have, it's a necessity. The need, the problem will change, but you must have, and you know, you have to evolve with it, that adaptability. And so today in studio, we're sitting down with Caroline Howe, project specialist on sustainability, innovation, and urban resilience at the University of District of Columbia. And Caroline's background blends her love for farming and agriculture and entrepreneurship. And let me just say, if there is one thing farmers can teach entrepreneurs, it's the ability to adapt to forces you just have no control over whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take a quick break and be back with Caroline. You're listening to The Tidbit, and we're sitting here with Caroline Howe, Project Specialist on Sustainability, Innovation, and Urban Resilience at the University of the District of Columbia. Hello, Caroline. Hi, Kim. Thank you for being here. I'm really excited to be here. Happy May Day. Happy May Day to you. And happy National Small Business Week. Yay. Pretty awesome. Uh, Did you know that May 1st, celebrated in many countries, is obviously a traditional springtime festival? But it's also International Day honoring workers. Mm -hmm. That's pretty beautiful. Yeah, it's a great combination of things. I love it. And both of those aspects of this statement ring true to you. It makes me think of you time and time again because of your work and passion for agriculture. Spring has sprung. Here we are. And also your commitment to education and workforce development honoring workers. So let's sort of unpack both of these areas. First, as the project specialist on sustainability, innovation, and urban resilience, can you tell us a bit more about this? What is this role? It is such a mix of things, which is perfect for me. And so it means that I teach classes at the university, which is a four-year land-grant university, public college. And I teach classes in sustainable entrepreneurship, so teaching people who want to be starting businesses in food, in energy, in waste, in water systems. And so that's a really exciting part of the job, and that's a third is my academic role in teaching these classes. Um, Another part of my work is research in the space of entrepreneurship, workforce development, and food systems. And then the last part is that I'm actually part of our extension programs because we're a land grant. We are an urban land grant. We're one of the few 
land grants are the universities that focus on agriculture around the country. Oh, interesting. And so UDC is the urban land grant. We're the only one in a metropolis. Uh, really? Yeah. And All other land grants are to like University of Maryland? Exactly, which is in which is focused on mostly rural agriculture, although right. even University of Maryland now has a real focus on urban ag in mm. in Baltimore. But their campus and their farm are really rural farms. And our farms are at our community colleges. We have hydroponic, aquaponic systems, so high-density urban systems, a rooftop farm at our main campus in on Van Ness at the Van Ness Metro. Mm-hmm. And so we really look at how we can be doing urban agriculture and how we can be focused on urban food systems, which is why our work also really ties to the questions of food access, food insecurity, and food inequities within the city. Mm. And so I get to work with partners all across the city to look at what sustainability innovation and urban resilience could be really with a focus on entrepreneurship but also social entrepreneurship so nonprofits that are really looking at ways they can be tackling the systemic problems through ways that also could reduce their dependence on grants Mm. um, through revenue streams and so I just I love this role because it is such a, a strange combination of the things I love most which is teaching and training people to be able to reduce some of the barriers for starting your own business and also to be able to really be hands-on in communities working to address the problems that they're facing in this space and creating more of that economic independence and not having to rely on I mean that is urban resiliency right for sure you being able to again create a solution to somebody's problem we'll get more into that in a bit but tell us more about those that aquaponics hydroponics yes first explain what is that and then where is it okay so aquaponics and hydroponics starting with hydroponics we are used to thinking of agriculture as being soil dependent Mm -hmm. um so growing in soil and soil health is such a huge part of sustainable agriculture is really building healthier soils hydroponics is designed to be more water efficient uh, because it is cycling the same nutrient-rich water through plants, and plants are just extracting the nutrients from the water. Instead of soil. Instead of soil. Mm. And so aquaponics is really closing the loop because it's adding fish to the system, and so waste from the fish is actually filtered, and then the nutrients from that fish waste is piped through the plant roots. Mm. And so the roots are extracting the nutrients from fish waste, and then the water is filtered again back through the fish. So the fish are getting clean, aerated water, and the plants are getting really nutrient-rich food. Ooh. And this has been something uh, a student in one of the workshops I alluded to at the top of the show, he is going through a UDC program right now, UDC, University of District of Columbia, about either contributing to or building his own aquaponic system. That's right. So UDC has, we have aquaponic and hydroponic facilities across the district. So at our two community colleges, B.R. Harris and Bertie Backus, and as well as an urban farm in the very eastern corner of the city. And then at our at our flagship campus at Van Ness. So we have four, and then we have a few other sites that are either under construction or about to come online at partner locations. Mm. So we're working with 
partners and students and aspiring entrepreneurs to be able to be really running these systems in ways that can continue getting more of that food into the community. So far, a lot of those greens have been going to the DC Housing Authority, to partners. We harvest and and donate to groups like DC Central Kitchen or Miriam's Kitchen to be able to get more of our the food that we're growing into communities at the most local of foods exactly (laughs) yeah we are sitting down with caroline howe project specialist on sustainability innovation and urban resilience at the university of the district of columbia and caroline i just want to know what gets you super excited about this time of year because it is may day and obviously farmers market season is upon us so What gets you jazzed about this beginning of this season? Oh my goodness, so many things. So I'm so excited to be talking to you on May Day because it is one of my favorite holidays of the year. And I love it because it really is a, at this point in time, a non-religious holiday where we really just get to celebrate spring and labor. And so I love that we recognize labor on May Day uh, and that we also just recognize the incredibleness of springtime. This is my favorite time of year and I love it in DC because everything that feels so dead throughout the winter, just the trees, the soil, many of our spirits just really explode in the spring. And so seeing trees transform, our streets transform to be just lined with bright pink blossoms and the purple of lilacs and the hot pink of red buds, which is a tree that comes out at this time of year. Of course, in DC, our cherry blossoms everywhere. And I also love, there's a Robert Frost poem called Nature's First Green is Gold. And I love that poem because it it is really just at the very beginning when the buds are just exploding either out of the soil in little seedlings or off of branches in the trees. It really is this really light green gold. And it for me is just, the spring is such a metaphor for everything, but certainly life in the sense that we so much that we think is dead returns every spring and I think in the same way that when we hit really low points in our lives the memory that spring can come that we can have these really beautiful periods of growth that follow that darkness is for me another thing that gets me really excited about the spring the resiliency of the seasons totally To make it really practical, too, I love that this is the time of year when our farmer's markets open, when fruits and vegetables can really be gotten so much more locally. And I love the process of um, planting, the the planning process ends of deciding what you're going to plant. And you really get to start putting things in the ground and harvesting the first strawberries and eating the, you know, first fruits of the season. Literal fruits of your labor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we are both very passionate about providing access to knowledge and resources for small business owners. And being that it is also National Small Business Week and that you work for the University of the District of Columbia, why do you think education and even more so workforce development, May Day, honoring mm-hmm. labor, are so crucial for the society? for the success of our emerging entrepreneur community, especially, again, as we're talking about farmer's market season starting, 
why why go through that education or planning process prior to starting your business? Why do you think it's so important? Mm. Well, I think there's so much you can only learn through running a business for sure. But I also know that there are a lot of barriers that entrepreneurs hit that can often derail your business entirely. And so going through trainings, learning some of the key barriers that other people have hit can can just remove one of those steps. If you can if you can save an entrepreneur from one huge misstep, one big mistake, that can mean the difference between success and failure for small businesses. And so for me, I love the idea of bringing entrepreneurs together including you and I as entrepreneurs working with other people who are at different stages of their business to be able to learn from what we've learned the hard way and they will learn their own hard ways as well. And I think it's also so important at this time of such great change, not just with spring, but with our economy in this period of history, we're going through such rapid change. And so having those entrepreneurial skills, that entrepreneurial resilience is just so important for anyone in the workforce because we don't have the stability or guarantee of a job for 60 years or 40 years, wherever you're working. And so the idea of recognizing that when a technology changes and your job is no longer relevant, how can you be always, as you said earlier, pivoting and changing and being able to be resilient is such a valuable workforce skill, whether you end up starting your own business or intrapreneuring within another organization that's going through a period of change. Yeah, that adaptive learning. Mm-hmm. Growth mindset. Yes. I was saying as well that farmers could teach a lot of entrepreneurs lessons about mm-hmm. <laughs> not being able to control all forces at play. Totally. Is there anything you want to elaborate around that sentiment? Yeah, I mean, we really don't control nature uh, at all. And so I think the fact that that farmers are always entrepreneurs in the sense of, well, running their own businesses and also just being able to say, okay, we're planting these seeds six weeks later or six weeks earlier. This has been, for example, a very strange winter and spring so trees started flowering when we had those really hot days in February, but then we had snow afterwards. And so really being able to be creative and say, okay, we're facing this problem. What can we do? How can we learn from other people who have faced this challenge in the past? But also how do we just adapt and adjust? And even in thinking about, you know, if fruits do really get damaged, what else can I do if I can't sell those to the normal outlets I'm used to because of the changes to the weather patterns? And even just day-to-day planning is so important in entrepreneurship and recognizing that it's the process of planning and the insights we can gain from it, not always the plan itself. Right. And so with farming, too, you say, oh, right, Monday is my harvest day and it's pouring rain and or you had rain all weekend and nothing has grown. Whatever it may be, you just have to adapt to it. Yeah, creating that framework Mm-hmm. somewhat of a structured plan, but then you have to, life throws things at you. Always. The rainstorms come. Exactly. <laughs> so we are going to take a quick break. We're sitting here with Caroline Howe, uh, project specialist at the University of the District of Columbia. We'll take a quick break and then we'll get into the how-tos of running a small business.
You're listening to The Tidbit, and we are here with Caroline Howe. Hello, Caroline. Hi, Kim. Project Specialist uh, in Sustainable Innovation and Urban Resiliency at the University of the District of Columbia. And UDC's main campus is in Van Ness, which is about two metro stops north of the Line Hotel where we're sitting right now. Um, And UDC also has an intricate relationship with the Van Ness Farmers Market. Mm -hmm. But you also, in general, have a strong mission and commitment to farmers, both here in this urban area, but also you've done work in rural farm Mm -hmm. communities, Virginia, Maryland, Mm -hmm. um, in the DMV. (laughs) And so, tis the season for farmers markets. And we had the pleasure of collaborating around a market readiness workshops mm-hmm. for our emerging uh, urban farmer and food entrepreneur community. So I'm wondering if you could share three tips, what three tips you have for business owners who want to maximize their potential at farmer's markets this season. Mm, well, the first thing I would say is definitely making sure that your table and presence at the market in all of the ways is really communicating your brand and your business. And so I loved what you shared, Kim, and in our market readiness training as a whole, the idea of how can you really be clear about your values and make sure that everything on your table is communicating that visually, aesthetically, even in your own person and, and personality that you're expressing at the market. And I think that that makes such a difference as we're walking through, whether it's a big market or a small market, our desire to go and see a table that is drawing us with really clear communication about what they're selling and why I should care about it. People eat with their eyes. Totally. I mean, we're living in an Instagram culture. Totally. Even in real life, you have to remember the first hurdle is getting someone to walk over. And you have to have that visual representation or that engaging personality to draw someone in. Totally. Which brings me to the second tip I would definitely say is just engaging people where whatever your table looks like, it's going to be you, your eyes, your smile, um, that, or your conversation that's bringing people over. And so being really comfortable and getting more comfortable with the fact that you have to be talking to people. And most importantly for lots of our um, particularly people, all of us, who are really connected to our phones, that if your eyes are on your phone, your eyes are not on your customers. Right. And that is such a huge difference of whether you're going to be as a customer I'm going to keep walking by or whether I'm going to stop because I've made eye contact with you and I'm already interested totally and by being an observant human Mm -hmm. you're able to pick up on potentially the problem that that customer needs solving you have a mom with crying babies and maybe you have Uh, bounty that could help her create a quick 15 minute meal that evening that's because you've witnessed this scenario you can now go up to her and say hey like it seems like you're shopping for this week's dinner these three ingredients I have here make for a quick 
I don't know, ratatouille. <laughs> totally. Not even a quick Ooh. thing to make. I'm not sure. It can be really quick. <laughs> and that is a delicious thing to make. Um, I, I think that, yeah. And so I'd say that that would be my sort of third tip was Ooh. definitely what you were just saying is both being observant of what people's problems are, but also asking what, pe- what brings people to the market, which is such an easy way to start a conversation, especially for introverts who, where do you start? Just what brings you here? You can tease out what people's problems are. And as you've said, and which I think can never be repeated enough that business is about solving people's problems, that identifying visually and through conversation what are people's problems and how your product can solve that for them. Amazing. Yes, 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 yes. And, you know, just to elaborate on that a bit more, um, one of the pieces of our workshop together was actually an improv session. I loved it. To teach students how to deal with customer issues on the fly because obviously you can't prepare for every scenario. And you actually are a very skilled improv <laughs> artist. Is that is that the right terminal? Improv artist? I'll take that. Yeah. Improv expert. <laughs> so can you tell us more about why improvisational skills are so important to learn? I mean, not just as you as an individual, and that's your creative expression, but also in business and in life. Totally. Well, I love, I, this is obviously dear to my heart because I actually do teach improv workshops for specifically for entrepreneurs. I love it. And I also do it as my creative expression, but I have seen for me how much, just as we were saying earlier, entrepreneurship and successful entrepreneurship is about adaptation, is about resiliency. And so improv really teaches us that whatever our scene partners throw at us, we then accept that as the new reality and we have to adapt and live in that reality. So if you say we are no longer in the beautiful line hotel, but we are on the moon making our podcast, I then have to adjust my physicality, my voice, and my experience to match the reality you've created. And that's essentially what we do in every customer interaction, is that whatever our desire is, a customer has something totally different going on, has totally different problems than we might have expected or that we might have designed for. And so thinking about, oh, you know, is there a way that I can adjust to that? And that that both in a customer service interaction, but also just in the daily work of running a business there are so many surprises and unexpected hurdles and and unexpected joys um, sometimes that we have to adapt to and the last thing I'd say about it is that for me in when I hit the really hard parts of starting my one of my past businesses I was starting a company in India and there were so many hurdles to just the paperwork it was constantly changing And when I was able to step out of it and see it as a scene where I was able to say, oh, this is a comic scene in which Caroline, the entrepreneur and the stamp paper seller uh, (laughs) is is really they're having a really conflicted scene. I was able to laugh about it and say, oh, actually, the game is he's going to throw more hurdles at me and I'm going to jump over them. It allowed me to recognize and, and approach with playfulness what I think would have been otherwise a desperately frustrating moment. That is beautiful. And I, f- I have also heard a similar mm, mind trick when it comes to even meditation Mm. whereas if you are meditating and you picture 
watching your thoughts on a TV screen or like a movie screen. You're detaching yourself from the thoughts you're having and therefore you can be more reflective or mindful about what's going on um, as opposed to being in the thick of it and just freaking out. Totally. And people say this phrase, you know, um, you have to work on your business, not just in your business. Mm. But I also want to say like sometimes you just have to also be. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to just also be present mm-hmm. and be in a situation. Totally. And and have to glean things from what's around you as opposed to thinking, you know, everything has to be planned out and perfect. Totally. Because then you're going to get yourself all tripped up. Totally. Are there any other sort of improv tips or tricks you've learned over the years? I mean, I think one of the other sort of things I apply is I, I am both simultaneously a huge improviser. I'm also a planner, but both professionally, I've studied urban planning, as well as just in my project management style is pretty plan-centric, but also, and so I think that there's something about, in, um, in improv scenes, there's often a, you know, a structure or a built-in game, so um, recognizing, you know, how can you, that sometimes structure allows you to play within it, and so going through the process of planning and then saying, you very well might have to throw it all out the window, um, is I think another piece that I try to remember that that balance of it's good to make a plan and when it's necessary, it's good to throw it all out the window. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe you are, it's farmer's market season, you're selling tomatoes and you planned to have a tomato mozzarella basil recipe card Mm -hmm. and you have those samples out, you've got the recipe card but then you realize most of your customers could care less about that appetizer and that most people are buying pasta mm-hmm. at your neighbor next door and you need to teach them how to have a tomato sauce. That was yes. a very random example that on the fly. Ex- that was but- great improv, Kim. <laughs> but being able to recognize what are people purchasing, looking at their baskets as they come up to your stand and realizing my end goal is to sell this tomato. Mm-hmm. How can I make sure my tomato is now in their basket Totally, and totally. they have given me money for it? Totally. Even if the plan I had around this recipe card isn't creating the purchase. Totally. And I think that that's the last thing I'd say about improv is that it's all about listening and watching your scene partner. And that's how we are in customer service too, is that it's about listening to what someone's saying in all the ways that we can hear by seeing their body language, by hearing their words, and by seeing their other purchasing choices. Yeah. Or those other uh, tertiary scene partners, maybe kids or a pet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we, we had this one um, improv sketch during Mm -hmm. our workshop where um a participant pretended like she had a she was walking her dog and the dog was very thirsty and so Mm. then we we adapted to the scene to say like oh here's some water for the dog which then kept her at the table longer which then allowed for a longer conversation totally which made her end up purchase Mm -hmm. ended up making her purchase products because we captured her attention with the Mm -hmm. dog so i absolutely love this and i want all entrepreneurs listening to sort of understand Uh, super important to have that structure and framework, but even more so your ability to be an empathetic, adaptive, and resilient Mm -hmm. human. That is what's going to create uh, success now and in your future. So anyone who's listening, I would love to hear from you. Um, You can always shoot us a note through our 
uh, website, curate.co, C-U-R-E-A-T-E.co. Send us a question about a problem or challenge you're facing, and maybe we'll answer it on air. And also, if you have a moment, leave us a review on iTunes under the tidbit. So until next time, everybody, remember to scale thoughtfully and source locally. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>